Hello, and welcome to our walk home, Journeys in Recovery. Join good friends Amy, Aaron, and Kate as we take a deep dive into the world of sugar addiction. Three women who found the strength to tackle their own addiction through community, courage, and commitment. Each episode will tackle a new subject, offering a little guidance and inspiration as you take your own walk home back from the edge of addiction. Welcome, Kate and Amy. My name is Erin, and uh, we are thrilled to be here. Uh, the three of us met through a group called Sugar X Global uh, as we began our journey addressing our uh, disease of addiction, that um, our outlet of choice has definitely been sugar. Uh, we started talking, the three of us together, about a year ago, uh, weekly. And it has absolutely been the highlight of the week for all three of us. And our conversations have been deep and um, inspirational. And we thought that maybe our conversations could speak to other people out there that are dealing with sugar addiction. So here we are today. Um, and what we want to start with today is just talking a little bit about um how we came to the conclusion that we were sugar addicts, certainly when I think all of us can say, when we say those words to other people in our lives, we get a lot of funny looks. Um, the idea of sugar addiction is becoming uh, more, I want to use the word mainstream, uh, more thought of as even a reality, um, but it is certainly a reality in our lives. No matter what anybody says or how funny they look at us, it does it does not shake our resolve that we three are definitely sugar addicts. Um, so the first thing I'd like to do is is uh, have each of you say hello and um, just talk a little bit about uh, how you got to this conclusion that you were a sugar addict. What was your aha moment? Um, and a little bit leading up to it. So, um, Kate, go ahead and take it away for us. Hi, Erin. Thank you. Thank you so much for your introduction. I'm so happy to be here too. This last year when we shared so much together and learned and grown so much in our recovery, um, it's just a great opportunity to be here and share more with other people. My story, um, I don't know, it's just been a constant battle. I struggled for over four decades with sugar addiction, only I didn't ever know that's what it was. My battle was with yo-yo dieting, um, with a constant round of losing weight, then regaining the weight and ending up with even more weight than when I started. And it became quite extreme to the point that I would lose six, seven stone, stay there for about a week go off the diet and then recover all that weight, regain all that weight and just be generally miserable. And this happened for over four decades. And when I look back, I just think what a crazy, what a crazy waste of a life. What a sort of nuts place to get into. And 
to have no comprehension or understanding what it was that was driving my behavior was even more frustrating. The problem for me was I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I was a broken person. I thought I was a person with a character defect. I had no willpower, um, that I was just weak or lazy or greedy or any of those horrible, ugly names that we call ourselves when we can't succeed in the dieting game. And then, just by a curious chance, a prompt dropped into my Facebook from a group called SugarX Global suggesting that perhaps something was going on behind the constant yo-yo dieting and inviting me to explore the concept of sugar addiction. And I plugged into their five-day challenge and I I had my mind blown wide open. Um, They took the shame and guilt from the situation and helped me to understand that I was struggling with a brain disease and not a moral issue. Um, I've got lots more to say on this subject, but I'm going to pass to Amy and uh, invite Amy to introduce herself to you guys. Thank you, Kate, and thank you, Erin. I'm Amy, and I noticed I had a problem with sugar in the late 90s when there was the big low-fat craze and everything was low-fat But little did we know there was so much added sugar just to make things taste well because it was low fat. And I was doing well. I was going to the gym, you know, more than I normally had. But all of a sudden I pulled into the gym parking lot one day and had a complete breakdown. And from that day, I just every day I would wake up, I was crying and I was not functioning. And I didn't understand because things in my life were going well. And I couldn't understand why I was falling into this major depression. So I took a look back at what was going on and I realized that I think it was the food I was eating, that I wasn't eating enough fat. And I started to realize what was in the ingredients of everything. And it was either sugar or artificial sweeteners. And that I think was what was causing the depression. I was sent to doctors, but I wasn't able to explain to them what the depression was about because there's nothing in my life that I could talk to a therapist about that wasn't working. I was everything else was going well. I just didn't feel good. So, and it got to the point where I couldn't even talk without crying. So that led me to do my own research on sugar. And then it became a hobby to read books on sugar and take health classes to learn as much as I possibly could, because I wanted to feel well. And at that point, when I would talk to anybody about it, they, they looked at me like I was crazy that I was saying, I think sugar is causing this depression, not the other way around, not, not I'm depressed. So therefore I'm eating sugar. It was the sugar that was causing the depression and the illness. And I stand behind that. And I spoke to psychiatrists about that years ago and they, they wouldn't honor it. They didn't believe it. I gave them books on the subject, but now it's so much more common. And now it's, open for discussion. And now people are realizing it is the sugar and there also is depression. I'm not taking away from that. People can become depressed without sugar, but in my case, it was the sugar that led to the depression. In other cases, I'm sure people become depressed and then use sugar as, you know, as a way to help them through their depression. But I realized that. And, um, I realized what I felt like 
when I was off the sugar and I just realized how I could handle life so much differently when I was not in the sugar. So I feel that I've had um, two major crises in my life, crises in my life. And the first one, I was on sugar and I didn't handle it very well. And the second one was when I was not on sugar and it was, it's just such a life-changing experience, how you handle things in the sugar and out of the sugar. So every single day, one day at a time, I try to not be in the sugar because life is so much more manageable. Thank you. Amazing, just amazing intuition. Every time I hear you talk about that, I just think, my goodness, how did she know that? I just, and, and your resolve to just keep going with it in the face of people not supporting what you knew to be your truth. Um, and, and I look forward to getting into a little bit more about, you know, what sugar did for us and more importantly, what it took from us. Um, but I'll, I'll say, um, you know, I could sum it up with ditto for me. I mean, Kate, I feel like you were inside my brain. This idea of up and down yo-yo dieting and losing a bunch of weight and then gaining more back. And, you know, I look back and and I could always find reasons. Um, you know, I would I would gain weight in the first three years of medical school and lose weight in the fourth year when you don't have nearly the requirements and everything is electives and and life is so much easier. And then I gained weight during residency. And so I had all these external factors that I could always blame my my weight gain and my weight loss on. And I wasn't playing sports since when I was a kid. And then I was playing sports. And so there was kind of always these, these external factors. But looking back on it now, it was all the food. It was absolutely all the food. Um, there's a, a diagnostic tool for sugar addiction called Sugar, uh, um, capital S-U-G-A-R. And I did that and went, oh my gosh, this started at age four. But I think leading up to that, um, I'll get there in a second. Uh, that was a little bit too ahead. So um, I had all these diets and uh, up and down in weight and sugar was my constant, just always eating it. When I was 16, I got so much of one particular candy that I was eating it all the time, mind you, for six months. So everybody in my life gave me this candy, which tells me that's all I was eating because, uh, oh, let's give Aaron candy. Oh, let's give Aaron candy. Um, I had um, managers at work for Christmas gave me Snickers and Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> like, you know, this clearly this is all I'm eating because that's what people want to give me as a gift. Um, it was my go-to in stress. It was my go-to in uh, worry, in depression, and in anxiety. And I eventually ended up with type 2 diabetes. And I was so frustrated because I would look around at other people that didn't have diabetes and you know, being that judgmental, self-centered addict I was, it was all about me and why me and and I'm not as big as those people, even though I'm pretty big. And why do I have diabetes? And I did everything right and my numbers went down and I lost weight. Um, and then that stopped working. Um, and probably my diabetes changed so that nobody really knows what I have. I, I have a larger part of type one at this point than type two, I would say. But I I gave up. Um, it didn't matter what I did. My blood sugars were high. So I just gave in and I ate and I ate and I ate and I ended up in the ICU in a diabetic crisis. 
Um, and I don't want to be dramatic about it, but I am very um, convinced that had I gone to sleep that night, instead of going to the doctor, I would not be alive um, by the morning just because, um, you know, I, my, my chemistry was so off from all the sugar that I was eating. And I still had a year of eating crap, even after I almost died. And I was like, oh, I'll just give myself 10 units of insulin for this. Oh, I'll just give myself 12 in- units of insulin for this to cover it. And it never worked. And my sugars were still high. My husband saw how I was eating. Um, he'd seen other behaviors in my life that fit into um, uh, addiction and that type of life and way of being. And he thought, you know, you have a sugar addiction. And I thought he was crazy, mostly because I didn't want to stop eating sugar. <laughs> he can't be right because then I don't get to eat sugar. Um, and I too, Kate, watched the five-day crush your cravings. Um, he had reached out to Bitten Johnson, who got him in touch with Sugar X Global. And, and um, they sent me a copy of the five-day challenge. And I watched it the first day and went, just like you, this is not my fault. I'm successful. I'm an owner in a large um, medical practice at the time. I've got a lot of patients. I've got a family. Um, everything's going well, and I cannot get the food sorted out. It must be because I'm this weak person, totally negating all the strong stuff I had done in my life and focus on, I am this terribly weak person because I cannot stop eating and making jokes about it. Oh, I'm just eating my feelings um, and you know, using humor and, and minimizing and all of the tools that addicts use to justify their behavior. Um, and I finally had the realization that it's not my fault. And suddenly, it wasn't my fault, but it's my responsibility. And suddenly, all the things I tried to do in my life, which was just for today, one day at a time, not eat sugar, I could do it. All of a sudden, I could do it because it wasn't that I was a bad person. It was that I had a disease. Um, you know, I had a disease from sugar and I couldn't stop eating it because I wasn't addressing the real problem. Moderation was never going to work for me because um, I'm an addict and um, I need to be in that that form of abstinence. Um, yeah. So looking looking back, doing that tool, I realized, gosh, for me, it started at age four when I was sneaking Sunny Delight in the refrigerator, guzzling from the jug and looking over my shoulder and putting it away and running away from the refrigerator when I heard somebody and stepped it up to apple juice in fourth grade and, um, you know, went to the doctor why I was gaining so much weight. And looking back now, it's like, oh, I was guzzling apple juice from the, you know, the moment I woke up until I went to bed. Um, and then it was the candy at age 16. And then it was, you know, the breads and the pasta. I would go at lunch um, in high school and and just buy bread. That was my lunch was bread, um, you know, and grilled cheese and, and uh, French fries every fourth night on call during residency. And, you know, it, it, looking back, you go, gosh, of course, these huge, big as your head cinnamon rolls that I would eat in private. I'd go to work early so I could eat this crap and nobody would watch me and see me. Um, and uh, looking back, it's just it's just insane. And I can think of so many things that sugar took from me and, and did to my life. And that's where I think kind of maybe we should go now and just kind of hear from each of us what 
um, what sugar took from us, what, you know, one of our, our coaches at Sugar as Global talks a lot about, we also have to give credence to the fact that it gave us something too, um, because we're not crazy. Yes, we do a lot of self-harm, but um, there were also some benefits too. Um, I think for me, what I've realized is those benefits were fleeting and the um, the cons and the problems that it caused in my life were so many more than the than the benefits and so much longer lasting. So, so Kate, what are your thoughts on what it did for you, what it didn't do for you? I just really like to reflect this piece because it, it so um, chimes with me and where I was at, that outwardly I was successful on every level. I was holding down a job as a chief executive in a national company. I was raising five children. I had a lovely home. You know, on the outside, everything um, looked looked successful, looked normal. But underneath, I was just living a completely alternate life. Um, all my behaviours were hidden. I would drive to work in the morning and load up with food. I mean, it was just the compulsion of eating, the compulsive thought and thinking around when I could get my next fix, my next hit, how I could get out at lunchtime, how I could get out to the shop before going home. You know, it was always a constant urge, a drive to get more and nobody knew. It's such a hidden, sneaky disease and it's so full of shame and guilt. I just find it extraordinary. And yes, what did it give me? It gave me moments of fleeting pleasure, which meant that I could still make the sandwiches for the lunchbox for the kids, go and see mum and dad who weren't well, you know, get to work and do a day's work, get home, do the laundry, fold the sheets, cook supper. You know, it meant I could function and carve out a tiny pocket of something which I kidded myself I enjoyed. But man, I, you know, swapping your life out for, for a cinnamon roll. <laughs> you know when I look at it like this from this perspective from this side I just think it's just crazy and you know the longer it got as I hit into the four decades the more and more I was needing to consume because my tolerance built up to the substance and you end up in a position where you're almost wearing the shame and the guilt externally on your body um, which makes it double down in a crazy way you stop caring I stop bothering um and uh, you know all, all this crazy thoughts running through and there's so much there's so much that sugar took from me it took my trust it took the ability to trust myself because I would wake up in the morning and say Kate this has got to stop you know, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. And yet by half past eight, I will be at the shop loading up with crap. I'd broken that trust. And that's so kind of soul destroying. Um, and I lost that trust, I think, from other people as well in my life and family and relationships, because they saw despite my best efforts to hide it, what I was doing. It was obvious it was showing on my body. And it was like I felt I'd broken a trust for them too because I couldn't stick to my word around what I was eating. 
I mean, it's insidious, isn't it? And it's horrible. And I have to say, the shame and guilt that flows from that is unbelievable. And and in a crazy way, that drives the behaviour further underground um, with that. So there's lots more I could say about what it took from me, but I'm going to pass on to Amy. So let's hear what Amy has. So um, I wish that I looked normal. Kate, as you said, you were doing everything. You were carrying on a job and... um, looking normal on the outside, but having, you know, issues on the inside, I feel like, um, I don't know if I was able to keep that role as looking normal. I think when I look back, um, my two biggest traumas, I look at what I lost and what I think I lost was my sanity. I lost my control. Um, it's it's hard to explain the story without getting a little personal, but um, my child wasn't well and I was in the sugar and looking at how I handled that situation and how I reacted to it, looking at it now, I realized I wasn't, I didn't, I did what I needed to do as best I could, but it was really hard to control the situation because I was so stuck in the sugar addiction and I was so emotional over everything. Um, then I went to learn more about the addiction through Sugar X. I realized what I can do and how I can help myself. I learned it was a brain disease and um, what I would need to do every day for myself. And then my next trauma hit and it was a diagnosis of um, of breast cancer. And I was able to handle that because I was not in the sugar. So when my son was ill with a, a neuropsychiatric disease, um, I fell apart because I was in the sugar. But then when I was out of the sugar and I get another huge diagnosis, now it's me that I have breast cancer. I just did what I needed to do, took care of it. And no big deal moved on. You know, I'm working with it. I'm working through it now. And I'm doing well, but it's just what it took from me was my ability to work through life, to work through situations that I was faced with. And I see now, even every day, you know, some days I, some days are better than others, but I understand now when I have to live life and life gets a little out of control or when it feels like it's spiraling, I'm able to control it. I'm able to decide how I want to react to the situation as opposed to that situation completely taking me down. So when I'm out of the sugar, I can do what I need to do. I can handle it. I can take care of it. I don't fall apart. But when I was in the sugar and I look back at my first trauma when my son was ill, that that didn't look normal on the outside. You know, it's it was really tough trying to keep a family together. And um, yeah, so I just feel like that's what it it took. It took from me my ability to handle life and control what I needed to control and take care of. And I'm just so grateful for Sugar X and to have learned that it's more about um, a brain disease rather than something that I was, you know, doing wrong. And it, um, it, it, I think it robs your confidence. You know, when I, when I look back, I definitely think it 
There are things that I can do now with confidence that I never would have done previously because sugar stole that from me. Again, I would say, ditto. <laughs> it's just so true, both of, of what you say and and being a witness to your the journey of this last trauma for you, Amy, just absolute grace that that you went through it. And I think it's so interesting listening to you both and thinking about it for myself is I can realize all of the things that sugar took from me now. And I can realize it now because I am on that other side and the sugar does not rule my life. When I was in it, I had no idea for a long time that that was really the problem. Um, it was just my normal. I was this anxious, depressed person who was on overdrive all the time, overwhelmed in their life, snappy at people around them if they weren't doing it my way or the right way. Um, and you know, why can't everybody be as good as me and just get everything done? Like I do, um, you know, forget the fact that I wasn't always kind when I was <laughs> getting my things done or the flip side of it was being overly kind and ple people pleasing and doing for everybody else at my expense, which is more often what I did. And I would hold it all down and then explode like a volcano and vomit it all over everybody in my nearest vicinity, um, just living on the extremes and living on the edges, either completely ignoring myself or mad at the world, um, you know, and just full of resentments because I do all of these things for everybody else. And um, but it, it was having sugar in my life was just so normalized. You go to the bank and there's a bowl of candy and you go to the dry cleaners and there's you go to the hardware store. It doesn't matter where you are. There's some type of food staring you in the face. And I had this idea that I would eat these foods to make myself feel better, to help with my depression, to help with any anxiety I was feeling. And for that brief moment, like you said, Kate, yes, I had this hit of pleasure of oh, everything's okay now. And then it was gone. And little did I know that it was gone and it was worse now. Um, everything was worse now. And when I stopped eating that food in a couple of weeks, I was leaving somewhere and I left something inside. And instead of the the normal narrative going through my head, oh, you're so stupid, you're going to be late. You're always late. This is so, it's so disrespectful and they're going to be so mad at you. And how can you be that way? And just beating myself up, I would... Um, I would then, I sat in my car and I thought to myself, I can just go back in and get it. And you know what? I'll get there when I get there. And it's not going to be that big of a deal. And I might not even be late at all. Instead of worrying about this future that may or may not ever happen, I decided I can just go with it, do what I need to do and see what plays out and handle it when I get there. And that was just a couple of weeks out of the sugar. And I thought, wow, something's different. Something is different in my life. Um, and what it came to me realizing was that just like you had such intuition long ago, Amy, the food was causing this depression and anxiety in me. And so then I would treat it with it and then it would cause more and then I would self-medicate more and then it would, and just this vicious cycle that I couldn't get out. And I couldn't get out because in moderation land, I would not eat very much. And then I'd feed the beast again for that 20%. And then I'd kind of quiet it down and then I'd feed the beast again. And it's just this constant 
always in a state of withdrawal, always feeding that addiction and just perpetuating these mental health struggles that I've had all my life. Um, I still have issues. Life is life. And um, I have days where I cry a lot and I think, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But instead of saying, I just want to run away and I don't want to deal with this and I don't want to I don't want to be here in the morning. Um, I breathe. I ask for help. I reach out to people. And it passes. I mean, what an amazing thing that these feelings will pass. Um, And if I can just sit with them and use the tools that I have, they will pass. And that knowledge wasn't there when I was in the sugar. So what it took for me was a lot of mental, stable mental health um, being out of the sugar has, has given that back. Um, what it took for me was being present with those people around me. I didn't even know the brain fog I was in until I stopped eating that way. Um, and all of a sudden my thoughts became clearer. I could handle the huge long to-do list, um, because I wasn't so overwhelmed by it. My brain was on fire. I had all these projects going on. I finished a book that I'd been wanting to do and decided to put it out into the world, which is so unlike me in my job within four walls. I was like, I know what I'm talking about. You listen to me, but anything outside of that, who am I to say I, that worry that somebody's going to tell me I'm wrong and that I'm not good enough because that's what I tell myself all the time. And then I got out of the food and I said, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Um, you know, just that sense of it's going to be okay. Not everybody's going to like me and it's going to be okay. And this is going to be tough and it's going to be okay. And that idea that I do have what I need inside me to handle whatever comes my way. I like this idea that life doesn't get better, but we get better at life. Um, And I think that that's the biggest thing that sugar took from me and what I get back by leaving it behind. So there's so much more to say, which means we'll just have to do more episodes because I think sure. all three of us have a ton to say about this subject because, you know, I think about my first 49 years in the sugar um, and I had some great times, but I had some really miserable times too. And the last year and a half in recovery, dealing with who I am and my thought patterns and my behaviors and the coping mechanisms that I used to use, it hasn't been easy. It's been eye-opening. Um, but I today am grateful for my addiction because it allows me to pursue recovery and all the the joy that recovery brings in my life um, and the growth and the change. Um facing fear and working through it, uh, things I, I never would do in the sugar. So. There are some words from a poet called Kate Bayer that I love from a poem called Deliverance. And she writes, what is the word for when the light leaves the body? And what is the word for when it at last returns? It just makes me think of recovery. It makes me think of that point where we just give up and give in and walk away from ourselves. 
and how painful it is. And if only we'd known, if only we'd known that everything that we were doing, everything we were devouring, everything we were eating was causing these problems. It's simple. Our brain has been hooked, hijacked and hacked. And so we're never able to get out of those pleasure zones and into the bit where we can rationalize or start to see um, alternative solutions to the position that we find ourselves in. And it's so powerful to be given that knowledge, to be um, poked and kind of probed and questioned and, and, and to have that understanding of what it is that's actually driving our behavior, because it gives you purchase it gives you the possibility to make a change and to make a difference. And once you understand what it is that's driving the behavior, we have, the, the, there's a choice, isn't there? There's a pivot point. There's a choice. You can go this way or you can go that way. But if you carry on doing what you're doing, it, nothing's ever going to change. And because this disease is chronic and progressive, if you don't treat it, if you don't learn to manage it, there's only one way out. You know, both of you have just been so amazing. It's such an intrinsic part of my recovery story. This connection piece is so powerful. Um, every time you share your words and share your recovery stories, it just really enlivens who I am. And it makes me feel that I'm not on my own. I belong. I'm so grateful. I think um, it's something that you feel you can do on your own until you really learn what it's about. It's not about up and down with your weight, although we had thought this was about dieting all our, all our life and this was more about the weight and wanting you know, to look a certain way. And it's really not about the weight. If you find yourself going up and down in weight you know, and it's been going on a lifetime, it's it's time to really learn what the story is behind that. And it's more about the brain and it's how the brain is functioning. And once you can work with the brain and start to heal the brain, everything else follows. The body starts to heal and you find yourself, you're not yo-yo dieting anymore. You're concentrating on brain health. And once you realize it's not about the weight, then I feel you really start, um, you really start to live. You really start to understand this, this disease. And it's just something that you can't do by yourself. And I feel like I tried to do that, you know, personally, I think we all probably have the same story of up and down yo-yo dieting for so long, but um, it's really nothing we can do on our own. You have to reach out and learn more about this in order to heal. And I'm so grateful for the education and for the community and for you two and for meeting every week because I think we've come so far, meeting once a week for about a year now. And don't you think it's crazy? It's actually not about the food, huh? <laughs> Who knew? It's just not about the food, although it's everything about the food until you realize, actually, it's nothing to do with the food whatsoever. And that's when we start to come alive. Crazy, huh? 
It's also true. And I think that leads us to why the three of us are here and putting this out into the world. Um, the connection between the three of us has been so healing for the three of us. I think all year we've we've expressed that to each other. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a chance to just put it out there and to bring our connection to other people and try to to grow that connection because like you both have said so well that's what it is about um the opposite of addiction is connection and um it it really is important that people know that um and there may be folks out there struggling that uh are just so active in their addiction thinking there's no way that this can ever be done um and uh we want to be here to show you that it can be done. It's not easy, but it's worth it. We are worth it. Um, and that there's hope, you know, that's one of the biggest first steps in recovery, I think, is is that there's hope. We can have hope for something better. Um, and we're not alone, you know. It is all about the food in the first place. And then you learn it has very little to do with the food, just like Kate said. So um, we are going to be back uh, with more conversations, really, just kind of talking about all the things that come up with us on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis in our lives of recovery. Um, I think Amy and Kate would agree with me that the world should be in recovery. It's a pretty amazing place to be, and we're happy to to share it with with anybody that that might um find some resonance with with the things that we that we share because the biggest thing that we've learned the three of us together is that we're not alone and we are indeed stronger together. So thank you for joining us on this uh first episode episode of our walk home. Um we are all going to our own homes. Um but uh, even across oceans, we're doing it together. So thank you for joining us. And we look forward to uh, seeing you next time. Bye. Bye.